Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Uncapped Podcast. And for the first time, I'm excited to say, sponsored by Roast House Pub, located at 5700 Urbana Pike. It is one of Frederick's finest family-owned local craft beer dispensaries and eateries, always pouring with love for <clears throat> good people of Frederick and anyone in Maryland or probably, I guess, the United States. They're not going to discriminate against anyone. No. And sitting next to me is Todd Perkins, head brewer for Monoxy Brewing Company. Howdy. And we also have a special guest, Ryan Wagner, Guinness Ambassador. But before we start talking about his brewery that he wants to talk about, <laughs> let's uh, do a little self-promotion. Uh, we ha- I'm having Todd in because we want to announce a beer that we're going to work on. I think it was 2013, Todd and um, Tom Flores, the brewmaster, Myself and Will Randall, uh, part of the ownership of the Frederick News Post, collaborated to commemorate the 130th anniversary of the newspaper. We brewed a red IPA. Um, Tom does not want to call it a red IPA, but that's what we're going to call it. Uh, but now we're going to brew. You want to talk a little bit about what we yeah. said we're going to do? Uh, well, Chris and I and Tom just met, what was it, last Wednesday? Yeah. And uh, we fleshed out some ideas. Chris had a really good idea. Uh, he's really big into mangoes. And he likes Love tart, mangoes. And he loves tart beer. So Love we're going to do a... Uh, and IPAs. Yeah, a, ma- a mango sour IPA. Uh, the recipe is still finalizing right now, so I don't really have anything huge amount of details on like what hops or anything are, are coming out and i have no idea when it's going to be released but but it will be released it will be released especially now that it's out there you can't back out no definitely not <laughs> i wouldn't want to i think it's a really good idea and i think it's going to be really fun on the creative end to make it work uh hopefully we'll be able to get it distributed wide so that people can try it around baltimore or maybe you know somewhere around i mean it's definitely gonna be at roast house i'm pretty sure right yeah it'll definitely be at roast house so uh jim said that we'll have some sort of event at the brewery yeah then i'm sure there'll be plenty of other places people will be able to get it yeah i'm excited and then the only thing we could definitively say now is that it'll be absolutely delicious oh totally (laughs) and now let's um well actually also i want one more self-promotion note um we have we finalized the content we have a prototype for the cover um uncapped the magazine will be coming out on september 14th It'll be inserted into every copy of the Frederick News Post, and then it'll also be available pretty much anywhere someone will allow me to leave a stack of them. <laughs> so just somebody's front yard. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> any anyone who says, Yeah, sure, leave that here. Yeah. Says, We're gonna print several thousand extra, I think it was like seven to ten thousand extra copies in addition to the newspaper circulation. So um I'll probably pretty much make those rain throughout Frederick. Oh, so nice. You'll be able to find those very easily. You're going to fly over in a plane and just drop them on the streets? I, I, I work on that. Okay, cool. Although I think we may get in trouble. Eh, a little bit. Eh. You should get a giant beer costume, like a pint yeah. glass costume, and just hand them out. <laughs> right in the middle, middle of 70. Just uh, get like, out in the middle of 70. and just Like that uh, SNL skit with... Um, oh, Justin Timberlake? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so enough self-promotion. Um Let's talk about the much-anticipated Guinness Brewery in Baltimore. I'm excited. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, you said you live right near Relay. Yes, I live in Catonsville, so I'm yeah. like right there. Well, I'm a, I, I'm a Baltimore kid born and raised. So for me, this is about as exciting as it gets. Because I, I don't know if you guys have been to St. James's Gate in Dublin. Yes. Um, I have. That was actually my wife and I's delayed uh, honeymoon. That's we a fantastic went, honeymoon idea. We, we went to Ireland. We spent a little over a week in Dublin, and almost 100% of my decision-making to go there was that I wanted to go to the brewery. So St. James's Gate, it blows me away every time I talk about this stat. It's the number one visited tourist attraction in Europe. Wow. So more than the Eiffel Tower, more than the Louvre. More people showed up to drink beer at St. James's Gate in Dublin than went to the Eiffel Tower. That just blows my mind. More love than, of beer. Right around 2 million people last year. So uh, this brewery that we're opening up in Baltimore, and um, I'll be honest with you, I had no idea there was a town called Relay. I, people said Relay. I was like, where, where is Relay? Um, so for anybody that's wondering where that might be, I always say it's near the airport because mm-hmm. it's about five minutes away from the airport. It's right off 195 and Washington Boulevard uh, for any of the listeners who might be familiar with Baltimore. So just south of the city. Um, and it's a, it's a really 
it's a really bizarre site. It's a really cool place to open up a brewery. Um, it's an old uh, whiskey distillery. It's been a whiskey distillery since prior to World War II. It was a Calvert whiskey distillery a long time ago. Um, and then uh, I think Diageo picked it up from Seagram's. They brewed Seagram's there. Uh, we've done things with Captain Morgan there. We've done things with Cuervo there. Um, but this was a site that, believe it or not, just a couple of years ago was everyone was being let go. They were shutting the site down. They were shutting the, the plant down, what they were doing there. And so one of the things that one of the, my favorite stories about this and in talking to our site manager is a woman named Aaron. Um, when Guinness came in and said, all right, this is it. This is the site. Uh, to be able to breathe life back into this again and to give some of those jobs back and to get people working again on site. Um, and you can see it now, even as we begin to ramp up, as we get closer to brewing, as we get closer to opening up some of the consumer experiences that are going to be going on down there. Uh, just seeing this place come alive again has been really cool. Um, especially again for a Baltimore kid. And yeah. I, I love when our, when my city gets to go to work. Uh, so, so getting, I think it's 70 people is, is what's, uh, what the number has been of, of new jobs that are being created by the brewery going in. Um, so there's a lot of excitement right now. Yeah. I think I saw the number was like 40 of them will be involved with the brewing part. Of yeah. It. Yeah. So this is, um, just like St. James's gate where they do an incredible amount of volume. I mean, I think Guinness right now, we have 49 breweries, uh, worldwide brewing somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 billion pints a year. Uh, so Guinness is massive. Um, but this brewery is going to be running three brewing processes simultaneously. So we've got the 100 hectoliter brewing system, which is massive. Uh, and that's going to be handling all the volume brewing for Guinness Blonde American Lager. Can you even visualize how big that is, Todd? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's massive. It's a, little, it's, it's a little bigger than oh, yeah. Minoxie as a 20 barrel. Yeah, 20 barrel. And this is, <laughs> a, this is about five times bigger. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, hectoliter versus barrel, it's, I think... Uh, yeah, you're using those weird European words. Well, we have a barrel <laughs> system as well. So 100, 100 hectoliters is about 107 barrels, give yeah. or take, somewhere in there. Okay. So it's, it, yeah, you, we're, you know, we're the only weird ones, right? Americans are the only weird ones. Yeah. We're, Everybody yeah. else is on metric. Who we're, else went to the moon? We're, Ooh, we're right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're yeah, using metric they never got there we're in merica yeah we, <laughs> we send people we, to the moon and we'll use barrels all right 107.53 <laughs> barrels or something like and that. and i'm too slow to keep up with any other way yeah <laughs> so the the big system right that's that's the massive system uh primarily going to be brewing guinness blonde american lager for us uh this is the home of blonde and uh we've been brewing it in latrobe pa uh, for the last couple of years but now we're getting it back under our roof so i didn't know that no so more contract that brewing. the old yeah. um Rolling oh, Rock. so Pittsburgh Brewing Company yep. the, at the old Rolling Rock. Yeah, so they've, they've been brewing it under their roof, contract brewing. Um, we are bringing it back under the Guinness roof now. And so uh, I'm excited to see what happens when our brewmaster and our head brewer uh, get their hands on it. Um, and it becomes everything self-contained in our, in our place. Uh, so we've got the 100 hectoliter to do volume brewing. We've got a 10 hectoliter system, which will feed directly to our tap room. Real That's numbers? Be, uh, well, what is that? Just subtract 10, so... <laughs> 10.7 barrels okay. give or take uh so think about it is it's pretty equal right okay. so 10 hectoliter 10 barrel it's it's similar uh and then um so we've got that which is going to be the first floor of the massive uh consumer experience building where all the magic is going to happen so that's the system that uh the people that come down to check out the brewery are going to be able to get up close and personal with the brewing process you probably won't see the 100 hectoliter because that's just you know that's a commercial brew i mean it's massive mm -hmm. uh so that 10 barrel system i'll say barrel 10 hectoliter 10 <laughs> barrel whatever you prefer yeah, I'm just uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when that when that system gets going um that's going to feed directly upstairs to the tap room so we'll have a tap room on the second floor that's where any tour will begin we'll have a lot of history things that we'll bring over from saint james's gate uh, we can't make it a facsimile of St. James's Gate, and I don't yeah. think that we would want to. I, I think that there is an incredible amount of history. I mean, the Guinness brand is 250 years old. So when you go to St. James's Gate, and as you guys know, the history just like washes over oh, you. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Well, it's, it's, it's much more of um... – it's it's unlike any other brewery experience. Oh yeah, at least there's I've a, been to. There it's is much, a museum quality yeah. to it yeah. that does not well, exist. Well, no, it's not else. even a museum quality. It's like a museum amusement park yeah. type <laughs> quality. Like it, there's definitely a lot of thought and effort put into yeah. it. Well, and the, and the other thing that goes into it, we're, we're one of the. I, we might be the only brewer, although there, I'm sure there are others. Uh, we have an archivist or an archivist. I've never been clear on the pronunciation <laughs> of that, but we've got this lovely woman named Evelyn who works at St. James's Gate, and her job is to keep up with Guinness history. Wow. And so uh, we, we had a big meeting uh, a couple of months ago and uh, she brought over brewing journals from 1817. I mean, we have in John Pershing's own hand, the head brewer at that time at St. James's gate. Here's the recipe, you know, that we can, we can track back to all that history. So 
to ignore that history at this new brewery in, in the States, I think would be a mistake. So there will be elements of it. But we also have to write our own story, a, a new story, an American story of Guinness. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're going to try to do there. So, so. it would kind of be like a hybrid of St. James Gate and like a craft brewery tour experience. I mean, that's a great way to put it. And I think that there are still, uh, still a lot of questions to be answered about what this is exactly going to look like. But the other cool thing about this space is that in addition to that 10 barrel system, uh, we've got a two barrel, which would fit in this room. Uh, so that two-barrel system, and I made joke. I made a joke with Peter Weens, uh, who's our our, uh, our brewmaster. We brought him over from Stone Brewing, and we've also got our uh, head brewer now, Holly Stevenson from Highland Brewing in North Carolina, Nashville, the brewing capital of the world. By the way, I don't know if you guys have ever been there. No, it's I was Frederick there last Ma week. Frederick, Maryland. Is the <laughs> Look, capital. Asheville, North Carolina has thirty-eight <laughs> breweries in like. The, it's it's bizarre. It's just the strangest place in the world. Really Fre cool if you're a beer fan. But. Frederick, Maryland. All right. So the second <laughs> the second brewing capital of the world, Asheville, North Carolina. There we go. Number one, Frederick, Maryland. Um, but so I, I made a joke with Peter the other day uh, about that two barrel system. I was like, you're going to be making some terrible beer, man. I, I'm so excited <laughs> just because you have with a two barrel system, you're only talking about four kegs. A lot so of I mean, flexibility. yeah, you can you can try things. You can go out on a limb and see what you see what you end up with. Mm -hmm. And of course, he's not going to be making terrible beer. Yeah. I say that in jest. Peter Weens is, is a brilliant, brilliant brewer. Uh, so nothing he makes will be will be terrible. But I'm just excited to see what they come up with. Uh, so the name of the place, the Open uh, Gate Brewery. We're taking directly from St. James's Gate, where at St. James's Gate, they've got their own open gate brewery and a pilot system where they've created a guy named Peter Simpson. You have to be named Peter to brew for, for Guinness, apparently. Hmm. Uh, but Peter Simpson runs the open gate brewery in Dublin, and that's where beers like Blonde, beers like Irish Wheat, uh, a lot of these beers that started on a small system, and when the popularity was there in the tap room, they started brewing it at volume and seeing what they got from it. Uh, another beer, one of my favorites that we do, Rye Pale Ale, uh, started as a Christmas brew that every year at St. James's Gate, the brewers at St. James's Gate will make a beer just for the employees to take home for Christmas. And there was one that they made a couple of years ago, Rye Pale Ale, that was so popular. They were like, let's try it in the Open Gate Brewery. So they tried it at the nice. brewery. It went well. They brewed it at volume. So I love that we've got that model in place where if we do something on the two barrel that makes a lot of sense, we can send it to the 10 hectoliter. We can brew it a little bit more at volume. And if that's selling it 80% of what we're selling in that tap room, all of a sudden you think, okay, maybe we can try this as a production beer and send it over and, and see what we get. So will, will the two and 10 hectoliter systems, are they going to feed just the tap room? So the two or? barrel exists separately even from that. So okay, the two barrel be is just, different... yeah, that's just, that's their playground. That's okay. Holly and Peter's. Yeah. That's not even beer that'll be served I mean, it, to the public? Hopefully or? it will be. Yeah. Okay. Eventually, but yeah, to move it over there. Um, so we've got those three systems in place. And in addition to that, and I think maybe the coolest part about this entire project is thanks to it being an old whiskey distillery, we've got a bunch of old whiskey barrels. Hmm. And so we've got some that are pre-World War II wow. that we're going to fire back up and, and start uh, barrel aging. And the goal is to make the Open Gate Brewery and Barrel House uh, be this, you know, the nation's leader in barrel aging. Yeah. Do you, um, I mean, I know Diageo owns a lot of different brands, yeah. but are you guys going to bring in like Bullet and Captain Morgan barrels? And It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to give you an answer because I don't, I, quite frankly, don't know. But I know that there are a bunch of barrels already on the property. Okay. I think that that's where they're going to start. But yeah, to your point, I mean, we could get tequila barrels. Yeah. We could get rum barrels. I mean, there's there's a lot of different things we could do. That's awesome. So will Peter have complete full reign to do oh, man, I hope that, so. two, that two liter system? Yeah. Two liters. Dude, I mean, dude, sorry. <laughs> Just well, making little little soda bottles full of beer. That's what happens when you use made when up I start volume. using metric. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know what? That that's a great question, right? And I and I think that one of my favorite things about Guinness is that when when we want to when we want to brew craft beer, we brew craft beer, mm. right? I mean, that's that's what we've always done. We have an incredible history. One of the things that I struggle with all the time is convincing people that Guinness is a brewery and not a beer. Mm -hmm. now you go out and be like, oh, I have a Guinness. I want that conversation eventually, especially around here with the brewery going in, to turn into, I'll have a Guinness, which one? Yeah. That's the goal, right? Because Guinness, for its entire history, has never just brewed one beer. You know, we've always brewed a ton of different beers and, and tailored it to markets and brewed our, our, you know, foreign extra stout, which is one of the best beers you'll ever have. Um, and so there, there's a lot to love about Guinness. And so we, we need to change the conversation a lot. So to your point, will Peter and, and, and Holly have carte blanche to do what they want to do? Boy, I sure hope so, because they have incredible uh, craft chops. And I mean, nobody questions their ability to brew. And so I think we'll always have like Guinness Blonde is a volume beer. We're going to be yeah. shipping it out all over the country. And so we need to make sure that that beer is able to be brewed on that 100 hectoliter system. And so in terms of that, I think that their consistency is a huge part of that when you're brewing at that volume. 
But I think that having those multiple brewing processes on site gives them the freedom to try different things and to bring some of their chops uh, to the forefront. So I, I, I've never been by um, th- that area, but yeah. I, I looked at the Google Maps imagery. Will, they, will all, all of the buildings in the whole area be utilized? So the short it answer, humongous. it's massive. I mean, so it's the really funny thing, and I, I, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to get the numbers wrong, and, and I'm sure somebody will text it and say, he's wrong. Uh, at its largest, St. James's Gate was, I think, 63 acres, hmm. 62 acres. I think they've since ceded some land back to the city of Dublin. Um, this site that we have is, is almost identical, Wow, which is kind of cool, oh, right? I mean, yeah. there's, there's a bit of synergy there. Um, so no, there, there is going to be... One, uh, one of the buildings that you saw on Google Maps or Google Earth is going to be the main consumer experience. So first floor will be uh, the barrel room or the barreling house and also the 10 hectoliter brewery. Second level will be sort of the main floor. Uh, if you think about a big uh, corner tap room, there's also going to be an exterior patio where you can go out. Uh, that's where the uh, retail shop is going to be. That's where the tour will start. I'm sure a lot of our uh, historic elements will come into play on that on that second floor. And then one more floor up to the third floor is going to be a full-service restaurant. Uh, so we'll have that building be sort of the primary focus. A lot of the exterior of the site is going to be used as well. So one of the things that we're incorporating is a, is a gigantic lawn. That's going to be a 5,000-capacity performance venue. So we're looking to do some oh, concerts nice. down there, looking to do some things. Uh, it's shaped like a pint glass. Because uh-huh. we want to make sure people know that they're at Guinness. Yeah. The giant harp on the building <laughs> might not give it away, so we're gonna. Um, but it's really amazing. Some of the stuff that they're doing uh, to bring in the exterior. I've seen plans for a hop wall. Uh, we're not gonna obviously use those hops. That's more of a you know just sort of a decorative element. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hops are really amazing. I'm sure you guys know this, but they grow straight up and they get as high as telephone poles. So mm-hmm. I mean, they're very interesting. Uh, 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 an interesting crop to look at. Um, and then we're going to have, uh, another building, which is an admin building. That's where the bottling is going to be. We'll have, uh, you know, all of our packaging will be done on site, uh, and where the 100 hectoliter system is as well. And now the other thing I can tell you, uh, with as many details as I'm privy to, uh, we're trying to get this thing up and running as quickly as we can. So not rushing. Real quick yeah. before we talk about that. Yeah. I just want to talk about Roast House Pub one more time. Yeah, do it. Because I love them, not just because they're supporting my podcast, but hey, um, like if you go to go to their website, they use the digital pour. Have you ever looked at that, mm-hmm. Todd? So you can see exactly what they have on tap, how much is left. So that may be something. Really? Good. Yes. You, you oh, that's interesting. Look. So not only like they have it on their website, but they also have these big, huge, like large TV monitors yeah. that have that are their draft lists. So it has what it is, you know, normal information. The and ABB, it probably says the, what's coming next, right? They have a, the, there's a scroll along yeah. the bottom, tells you what's coming next. But then on the far right, it shows you how much is left in that cake too. So you know you better hurry up and get some. And it's all tied right into their point of sale. So it's keeping track of how much they have left. So if you download the Digital Poor app or go into their website, both places, you can see like, oh, no, you better get in there to – tried the next great beer they have and then also have you guys ever participated in their mom's spaghetti dinner night no that sounds amazing you guys should talk to nico about that because it's once a month they have a a battle of two different breweries and they it's uh i think it's a ticketed event i need to find that out for sure but so each brewery will have a representative from the brewery and they'll bring their mom's uh, like spaghetti sauce Uh, recipe. I'm pretty sure my mom's and, was like prego. I, <laughs> I, mean, I hate to say that, mom, if you're listening, but I, <laughs> and um, and then they they battle it out between the who who has the better uh, spaghetti recipe. That's hilarious. That so, see, that's dangerous though, because then somebody's mom has to lose. Yeah. Like it's not like you're losing. <laughs> like if my beer is better than your beer, then that's okay. Both beers are great. But if like my mom loses. Yeah, that's, but that's she, day, she probably dangerous. won't find out unless you're foolish enough to bring her along. <laughs> I mean, and if it's her recipe, just, <laughs> you'd think they would yeah, bring her along. Yeah, but that was just kind of mean. Right. Because, like, in case she does lose, at least if, like, by proxy yeah, losing is not as bad. But the next one is August 31st, and it's between Key Brewing and Lancaster Brewing Company. So they're always local breweries that do that. Key Brewing, my guy Spike, doing good stuff down there. Yeah, I've heard that. I, I don't know anyone from there. I yep. do want to try them out. And, um... They also have amazing crab dip that I've had there. Really? It's absolutely delicious. Excellent. So I urge everyone to, one, check out the Digital Pour app because you're going to know what amazing beers they have on tap. 
and um, of their 20 taps that are always changing. They often have um, Frederick local beers, but they also have uh, often Maryland beers. So check them out at www.roasthousepub.com. And now let's get back to yeah. when's it going to open? Uh, well, speaking of local Frederick beer, by the way, this stout is delicious. Thank I you have very to much. Say that. Um, so when is it going to open? I will give you the latest, and you guys are getting it. I just had a conversation this morning, so this is like up to date. Uh, breaking today. news! Breaking news! <laughs> um, here's the deal. So we wanted to get people down here, down there, to experience it as soon as possible, right? Because we're excited. We've got our brewing team in place. Uh, Holly and Peter are there. We're looking to start brewing probably in the next two weeks. Oh wow! Which is crazy. Timeline is like now. Which the, the probably the two the, barrel to start. Okay, yeah, just that smaller system. Start getting some beer made. Uh, we're looking at a some type of facility, a temporary tap room on the site to get people down there to get them familiar with it. Looking at maybe middle of October. I mean, this nice. this That's is coming. Real quick. Yeah, we're 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 coming. Uh, and we've had a lot of time to plan this out. I mean, I don't want people to think that this is being rushed along. This is something that, yeah. you know, you guys know. It's been in the works for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then everything yeah, up and running. Yeah, we need the legislature to get their act together first. No comment. I, <laughs> I have. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, and, it, and it's a lot of permitting issues and a lot of things yeah, like yeah. that. So the full consumer experience, everything that we've talked about, right? The, the exterior, uh, all the exterior work that they're doing, and it's really going to be beautiful. I got some pictures I can show you guys later. Um, the exterior work, the entire consumer building with that 10 barrel, with the, the tap room, with the restaurant, all that stuff, uh, middle of next year, somewhere. Could be late spring, early summer, something like that. That's a little bit tar- harder for us to pin down because we're, we're still working through permitting and stuff like that. But the good news is if everything goes to plan, there will be beer to sample and there will be something to come see this year. No doubt about Excellent. that. Excellent. I can't wait to get a proper pint of Guinness. Yeah. That'd be amazing. You know, I so often I um, – like people would say that it, it's so different there, and I'm like, oh, you're such a pretentious tool, or <laughs> like you just like, oh, you just want to brag that you went to uh, Brewer, went to St. James Gate. Then I went there and I had a Guinness there, or just pretty much anywhere in Ireland. And yeah, there it's. You want to I mean, know? Is, you want to know why? <clears throat> From an official Guinness expert, do you want to know why? Yeah. All right. So here's the deal. Uh, number one, there there very easily could have been a difference in the gas mixture. When you were in Ireland, that's like that's like the the literal reason. So as everybody knows, nitrogenated beers are something that Guinness founded. We created it. Mm-hmm. Uh, first nitrogenated Thank beer you. was Guinness Draft in 1959. Uh, so we are very proud of Michael Ash and, and what he did to create nitrogenation. So in this country, nitro beers are typically a mixture of nitrogen and CO2. All nitro beers are because CO2 occurs naturally in beer, so you're not going to remove it entirely. Uh, but here in this country, it's typically 65 to 75 percent nitro. And then the rest is CO2. Uh, in Dublin, I think it's closer to 80. Wow. Oh. So that just increases the mouthfeel. It's a much kind yeah. of a smoother beer. So that doesn't really make much of a difference. Mouthfeel is part of flavor. No, no every, oh. every pour is every pour. Anywhere you go that you get a good pour, you know it. Now, well, every am, pour in Dublin is, is a perfect pour. I am certified to pour the perfect pint of Guinness. Everybody gets certified at St. James's. No, they don't. You have to use your token <laughs> for that instead of using in the Sky Bar. So not everyone, That's Ryan. True. Now, here's the deal. little my here's, accomplishments. Here, here's, here's the real reason why Guinness tastes so much different in, in Dublin. Number one, if you have it at St. James's Gate, it's going to taste different because you have walked up six flights yeah. of stairs, yeah. gone through everything that Guinness has in 250 years. You went to the Willy Wonka room where they have like... Like the steam emitting yeah. from those white uh, stakes and or, or white pillars in the in the ground, it looks like Willy Wonka. And so you get to the top to the gravity bar. You've got 360 degree windows. It's a beautiful view of Dublin. Somebody pours you a pint of Guinness. It's been three hours since you had a beer, and so you drink that beer, and you're like, "That is the best yeah. pint of Guinness I have ever had in my life." It's a psychological my, experience. In my case, you've also just left the Jameson Distillery. Oh, <laughs> see, that's, yeah, and stumbled your way over to the, the brewery. And the other reason is you're in Ireland. You mm-hmm. have typically a rugged, handsome Irishman. With the accent, <laughs> serving you a beer. There's probably like sheep wandering around somewhere. I mean, it, it just has a di- it's a different sensory experience yeah. over there. I mean, I, I completely agree. Now, I have had pints of Guinness uh, here, and I will tell you, uh, my 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 buddy James down at James Joyce in Baltimore uh, pours a phenomenal pint of Guinness, and it's well, and he's Irish and he's got an accent. So they, <laughs> there's just something about. A pint of Guinness that's poured correctly. By that's an the Irishman. right that's the right temperature. Hey, I've had some great I've had some <laughs> great Guinness that were poured by by folks in this country too. But uh, the Guinness more so than any other beer that I can think of. And I you know I work for him, so take it with a grain of salt. But 
it has something about it that is just different. There are mm. so many elements to it, right? The two-part pour, the fact that you have to be willing to wait an extra couple of seconds if the bartender is doing his job correctly or her job correctly. Uh, the, the fact that you can look across a bar and you can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that that person is drinking a Guinness mm -hmm. because of the way the head forms, because of the color of the beer. Uh, there are so many sensory elements to a pint of Guinness that I don't think exist all in the same package anywhere else in the beer world. And, and that's what makes it so unique. And that's what makes it sort of exist on a different plane than the typical macro micro beer conversation. You know, we are brewed at an incredible volume. So in that sense, we are a big brewery, but our product is not, it's, it's too different and unique to be considered just another macro beer. What's, well, I feel like, um, Guinness is, <clears throat> except for maybe the most, um, staunch, we use a non-derogatory term, craft beer fans guinness is one of the only oh yeah large conglomerate beers that had like people still have respect for yeah the, the, it's yeah. not it's I mean, not I drink guinness all the time yeah man. it's not lumped in with no. all of the large there's and there's definitely a very different level of quality between a guinness and Qual quality is i mean we we that's what we we lean our hat on i mean that's hang our hat on is, is quality we've been doing that for 250 years because i mean if you think about it Back in 1759, when Archer Guinness signed a 9,000-year lease at St. James's Gate, uh, there, we had no scientific understanding of how beer became beer. It wasn't until Louis Pasteur discovered yeast and figured out what yeast was doing. So back then, it was all about the scientific method. Okay, we made it this way this time, and it tasted like this. Let's see if we can do that exact same thing again. Mm. So you can imagine that quality of beer from one pint to the next was all over the map, right? So all Guinness had and what they really built their name on was the fact that when you walked into a pub in 1759 or in 18th century Ireland and you ordered a Guinness, you knew exactly what you were getting. And so 250 years later, we rely on that still. Yeah. You know, the fact that you get the same product every single time because that's what people expect. So quality, to your point, is huge. The other thing you mentioned was a conglomerate. One of the things I love about Guinness, so Diageo, the company that is the sort of umbrella corporation uh, that Guinness is a part of, they have an incredible amount of, of liquor brands, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about them. Seagram's, Cuervo, uh, Captain Morgan, Johnny Walker. I mean, it's all over the map. You know who? You know how many beer companies there are? One. One. Mm -hmm. So Diageo Spirits, and they do amazing spirits. Don't get me wrong. Bullet is one of my favorite things mm -hmm. in the world. But I love the fact that when they formed this company in 1997, United Distillers went to a beer company, and they chose Guinness, and they don't have any other beer companies. Yeah. It is Guinness. It's a nice so focus. I can say Diageo. But really, I can say Guinness, and I can be telling the exact same story because Guinness beer is Diageo, um, or excuse me, Diageo beer is Guinness. That's bottom line. Liz Murphy wants to know if you're. She says feel, but I'm going to add in the word worry. Are you worried that shaving off your epic beard diminishes your standing in the beer community? <laughs> Tell Liz that I will talk to her all about my beard, which will be back by the time we go to happy hour next Thursday. Um, I Liz is probably very upset because I know she loved my beard. Um, but no, I, I think that as long as I continue to keep it growing, as long as the, the, the remnants are there, look, man, I told you guys, uh, the beard was massive as of two days ago, <laughs> shaved it off. I got engagement photos coming up with my fiance and her mother, my future mother-in-law. I walked in the house yesterday to say hello. She was like, oh, you're so handsome. I was like, <laughs> wait, aren't I always, nothing has changed. Yeah, I, you I'm were, still, you were ugly before. I still, right. Apparently. You look hideous. My mother said I, I was starting to look like a prepper. <laughs> so I figured it was about time we, uh. We took it down. But no, I, I look, you need to have a beard or at least the beginnings of a beard to work in beer. And I also live in Hamden in Baltimore, which is the most hipster area oh, in the yeah, world. Gonna, I'm pretty sure I lost my parking space when I when I shaved my beard off. So I'd say <laughs> it's coming back. It'll be back by the time I see Liz. <laughs> so I, Liz Murphy from Naptown Pint, by the way, we should yes. point out. Um, yeah, she get, she gets a lot of plugs on our show. I'm and sure she we, does. We're I definitely enjoy uh, and let's a little self promotion again. Um, Liz wrote the cover story for Uncapped Magazine. That's pretty awesome. I know. I was I was very pleased when she agreed to, uh, you know, write not it for us. Not to toot my own horn. I'm a pretty good writer. If you guys ever ever need some content for that, right. you know, well, it on. is a quarterly publication. I may hit you up. Yeah, sign me up. That's cool. So I one of the um, going back to the consistency, quality, and stuff. Like, yeah, I I found really interesting when touring St. James Gate, like how fanatical they are about protecting and keeping their yeast um 
Uh, my official statement is we don't talk about our yeast. They, so. What was on I'm the? Just, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? Because this like, that this interview is over. Yeah. Just, yeah. I, mean, I think there was like a good half hour where that's all they talked about was yeah. the the safe that it's kept in. Yeah, no, no, no. It's it's incredibly proprietary. And I mean, I, you know this yeah. as a brewer. You go and like, oh, what hops did you use? Oh, I use Cascade, and I use Citra, and I use Centennial. It's a hop mix, dry hop, and. What would you use for your, uh, you know, what was your mash? Oh, you know, barley and, and six row and go on and on and on. And how long did you, oh, did this and fermentation was this. What kind of yeast did you use? Don't worry about it. <laughs> right. Nothing. Because yeah. because yeast is a very proprietary thing. Yeah. So, I mean, we we have this incredible yeast, right? So, the, the beers that I brought you guys, um, just give, a, I mean, everybody here knows the, the beer story. But you've either got ale yeast or you've got lager yeast. And if you got an ale yeast, you heat it up. It works from the top down. And if you got lager yeast, you put it at the bottom of a cold beer and uh, you you ferment it at cold temperatures. It works its way up, fellas. We got we okay over here. We need more uh, beer. What's, what's Graham's give doing Graham some, some beer over. There. I don't know what he he's so, motioning something. So if you have a, if you have an ale yeast and you're you're brewing an ale and you heat it up, that's when you're going to get some of those. You know, you're going to release some of the esters. You're going to get some of the phenol off flavors. You're going to do those things that make a really flavorful beer. Lager. Mm-hmm. The whole point of lagering is to get a clear, crisp, very simple beer. Right? Pilsner, lager, anything like that. So what we have at Guinness is this amazing yeast. That is like a workhorse yeast. I mean, it turns our beer around in like 60 hours. Wow. Which is incredible. And then the guys at the Open Gate Brewery decide we had a, we have a German brewer who's a, a lovely woman uh, who said, you know, guys, we should, we should totally make a wheat beer. They'd never thought of it. They'd never done it. So they went to one of their farmers who's been making barley for them for two centuries. And they're like, hey, man, can you make some, uh, you make some wheat? He was like, whoa, dude, I've been making barley for you for 200 years. Like, yeah, we're going to make a wheat beer now. So they threw in the same yeast and they just... Heated it up, oh. and all of a sudden, from that same yeast, we got banana, we got clove, a little bit of bubble gum. Like we made a delicious wheat beer. That is a, one of my favorite things we've ever made, which is why I brought you a couple of them today. But it's it's a it's a workhorse yeast, and I think that's why they protect it so much. Because Guinness, I mean, you know, the the stout that we do, everybody's favorite Guinness, it has a bitterness to it. It's got something just a little weird in a good way that differentiates it from a lot of other stouts Mm. and so i think that that's why they're so protective of of their you know proprietary process it's it's a it's pretty crazy but yeah the yeast is nuts yeah i'm looking for the i haven't had i haven't had the wheat i don't think i've had the blonde yet so i'm looking forward to trying those have you had extra stout yeah that so that's the is that i always get them confused but is that the one who was just like within the past several years available no 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 no. so so we have I don't know. No, I think it's been around here longer than that. But we've got Foreign Extra Stout, which was the first beer that we started shipping overseas. Much like an IPA, we needed something that was a higher hop content, higher alcohol content to survive the, the longer journey. So we made Foreign Extra Stout, uh, Foreign Extra Stout, I believe, 1802. Um, 1821 uh, was uh, the Extra Stout. I think I'm, I might be flipping that. But anyway, these two beers, Extra Stout and Foreign Extra Stout, are both early 19th century. All right. Guinness Draft. Stout, the one that everybody knows, that's 1959. Wow. Like, that's one of our newer beers. And it was because of the nitrogenation process, finally figuring that out. Um, and then so all of this other stuff, so the Blonde, the Irish Wheat, Rye Pale Ale. We've got a beer called Hop House Lager, which is delicious, uh, which is crazy popular in Ireland. Uh, all those things came as a result of the Open Gate Brewery, our pilot brewery in Dublin. So there's a they're turning out a lot of fun things over there. Yeah, I always get those two confused because there was – when I was at the brewery, there there was one of the stat the extra that it was might only been. available there, and then like it's super popular in I think Africa. Africa, well, there so or, foreign foreign extra stout. We we have fourteen breweries in Africa. Africa is our number three market. It's Ireland, the UK, and Africa. Nigeria specifically. So from what I understand, if you go to Nigeria and you talk to somebody about Guinness and you know oh, St James's Gate in Ireland, like oh they make it in Ireland too. <laughs> because it's their beer. I mean, it's been there so long, and it's such a part of the fabric of their society that they just assume that it's yeah. – I mean, it is their national beer. Um, but, yeah, what you might be talking about is West Indies Porter, which they they sort of re-released. That was a very old recipe that they re-released. We've also got a beer called Antwerp and Stout, uh, which was brewed in 1944 for the Belgian market because as the Nazis uh, – unoccupied Belgium and were forced out of Belgium. They destroyed everything in their path, including what was a very vibrant beer culture and knocked down breweries and everything else. Uh, so Guinness, which was in Ireland, which was untouched because it was neutral, uh, brewed a beer specifically for the Belgians to kind of get them back on their feet. And they've been brewing it ever since. But now you can get it in this country as Antwerp and Stout. It is an 8% bomb of a beer. Wow. It's massive, but it's uh, it's really good. 
So there's a lot of different things going on. Yeah, I was I was looking at the. So will they be doing a lot of the same type of open gate? I think stuff? it's going to be our. I think it's going to be our own thing, right? Okay, so I mean, I, I do think that there are some beers that they've created over there where if they are popular and we've seen you know some market uh, impact here that we can brew those beers here. But I think we also want to do our own thing and we want to make it a very Just American. Tailor it yeah. towards like the American. So a lot of people that have asked me about the brewery have always asked the same question, which is why? Why now? Why, why build a brewery here? Um, I mean, look, the American beer market is incredible. It's probably the best beer market in the world now. Uh, the Belgians would probably have something to say about it. Hmm. Um, but we have an incredibly diverse beer culture here in this country. And there is so much room. Even with the growth that we've seen in breweries, right? I mean, we're clo- we got to be close to six thousand breweries in this country now, yeah. so it is a massive market. And we had a brewery in the states. Guinness did back in the late '40s and early '50s. It was in Long Island City in Queens, in New York. Uh, they took over an existing brewery from one of our distributors here in this country, and it was open for five or six years. But it just didn't really work out. Um, and I think that's because the beer market was very different than it yeah. is now. And so by coming over here, some of the beers that we've brought over from the Open Gate Brewery, they were developed specifically for the Irish market, which is not the American market. It's a completely different beer drinker there as opposed to here. So I think by opening this brewery, not only do we make it simpler to distribute, uh, but we also get to play in this American craft beer scene playing by their rules. So we're no longer importing our craft beers and trying to apply them to an already existing market. We can be in the market, we can feel the market, we can talk to consumers here, and we can bring them into our brewery and see what works for us. So to your point, yeah, I think that there are some things, Irish wheat stands out to me as a beer that holds up against any other Hefeweizen I've had. So that one may stay, and that one may be brewed and served down at, the, down at our place. Um, but I think we're going to be much more interested in trying to become a part of that American beer market. So a big IPA is going to be in the works. I would, I would imagine it would have to be, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the arms race that's involved right now. Um, yeah. I had Pallet Wrecker by oh, yeah. Green Flash the other day. That's a good beer. If you want to not be it's, it's, well, what I, I said to the bartender. <laughs> well, it's I, a perfectly named beer. It was, awesome. Oh, it's been, they nailed the name. Yeah, but I was beer. talking to my buddy Carlos, uh, who works at a, a place called Nickel Tap House, uh, just uh, in Mount Washington. Mm-hmm. And they have 30 or 40 draft lines. And so I always go in there and I'm studying for the Cicerone exam. So we play a game where he gives me a small port or something and I have to try to figure out what it is. And so he gave me that. And I was like, pallet record. That's pallet record. No question about it. And so IBUs, I think, have taken over the world. The the concept of an international bittering unit. Number one, unless you're a chemist or a microbiologist, you don't really know what an IBU is going to do. And so IBUs are not a great indication of bitterness in a beer. And the other thing is the power of suggestion is a very powerful thing. So if I gave you identical pale ales and told you one was 30 IBU and one was 70 IBU, your brain would go, oh, that said 70 is way more bitter. Just because that's the way our brains work. Yeah. The power, like if you're drinking a beer, like, oh, I taste sourdough bread. Six other people like, oh, yeah, I totally get yeah. that note. Power of suggestion. Right. And so when you have a beer like Green Flash, where we know that the human taste buds and the human sensory uh, profile can only detect up to 100 IBU, apparently. I read this the other day. And Palette Wrecker is 149. You take one sip of this beer and you can't taste feelings anymore. Like there, there's, like, <laughs> there's like nothing going on in your mouth anymore. And so I looked at Carlos. I was like, is Green Flash's like their business model to sell one beer to one person every night? And then it's like, because I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I enjoy beer and I enjoy drinking. I don't want to go out and have one beer and then not be able to taste anything anymore. Like uh, I understand the save that yeah. to the end. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some people that, just love that super dry, super bitter beer. I mean, and it's an arms race, right? Everybody's trying to outdo everybody else. And so I think one of the things that I'm most interested in seeing Guinness has always made, uh, sort of made their portfolio with, uh, with it with an with an attention paid to trueness of style, accuracy in style. And also balance, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, a beer is supposed to be balanced. A beer is supposed to be thirst quenching. Uh, it's supposed to be a balance between the malt sweetness and the hop bitterness. And so Guinness has always worked to do that. And the American craft scene for a lot of these guys has nothing to do with balance. It's about look at what we did. Yeah. You know, I was at Sierra the other day. In I could Asheville. see Tom giving him a hug right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just I, I mean, and I can appreciate it, right? Like I was I was at Sierra Nevada in Asheville and um, talking to talking to. Um, uh, oh, Scott Jennings, their brewer, about a 13.5% brown ale. That was just massive. And it was super sweet because the alcohol content, just you can't get away from the sweetness when you're that high in the ABV. And it was good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but this is not, I like drinking sessions, sessionable. I like beers that you can go and you can have a good time and you can not wake up with your head split open the next day. And so I can appreciate the, the craft that goes into making a beer like that, but I also appreciate 
Like you make me a cream ale that is super balanced and super light and you figured out a way to impart flavor without missing on the style. Like there's a lot of craft that goes into that too. So it's really a preference thing. But yeah, to your point, IPAs, I'm, I have no doubt that they're well, I, I feel like you can't hire someone who spearheaded the opening of a stone brewery and not expect them to come and brew an IPA. Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> And we have to do that. Everybody is brewing IPAs. And so it's different in, like that beer I told you about, Hop House Lager. Delicious beer. Unbelievably flavorful, great beer. In Ireland, Hop House, you drink that beer and you're like, man, that's really hoppy. They did a really nice job with that. A beer called Hop House here in this country, it better be, be like. really hoppy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that's always going to be a tough, a tough, it was a tough avenue for us to cross. But now being here in this country, having Peter, having Holly, their expertise, working at Stone. Um, working at Highland, which does some, some great beer. I had a New England IPA that, uh, that Holly did before I left down there. Um, yeah, there's, there, we're definitely going to be playing with some, bitters, with some bitter things. Nice. I also read rec- um, recently that soon Guinness will be fully vegan-friendly. Mm-hmm. They are in St. So, James's Gate. I think it, it was now 100% for draft. Oh, actually, the article is kind of old, so maybe it is 100%. Yeah, now. so it's just the removal. That was another thing they made a big deal about. Well, not a big deal, but they mentioned during the tour is that they're not vegan because of. The fish bladders yeah. or the, whatever the, the material. And, and I had a conversation. I think it's, is it fish bladders? Yeah, it's fish bladders. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I had the, I had a conversation about this the other day with somebody, and they were like, you just guys just throw fish bladders in it. I'm like, no. no well, it's, it's because not- of that stupid meme, li- like BuzzFeed list that was going around for a while of like, don't drink these beers because of the disgusting things they put in. It's and like it would, the, the membrane. It's yeah. like paper thin it's that they use. It's, like, it's yeah. like pulverized, yeah. It's, yeah, and it's used a lot in yeah. a lot of places, and it's not even in the beer. When right. no. It settles you, out. You just, had, you just had this, like, you just picture this grizzled Irishman yeah. with, like, the beard, and he's throwing full fish heads into the tank, and he's, like, swirling around. Yeah, the other thing I will say is that Guinness is incredible when it comes to uh, sustainability. I mean, I think they always have been. They've always been concerned about those things. I think Sierra Nevada in North Carolina, because I don't, I don't think that the one in, in Chico is, uh, and the, the new Guinness Draft House at St. James's Gate are the only two in the world that are Platinum LEED certified. So, hmm. I mean, sustainability is a huge part of it. Um, Guinness is a crazy company, man. And, and if you've been to St. James's Gate and you learn about, you know, they were the one of the first in the world to offer health insurance. They were the first in the world to have a doctor on site for their employees. Uh, oh, wow. They were they were a Protestant-owned company that during the the 19th century in Ireland was hiring Catholics and were the, you know, and I mean obviously that goes to a much different conversation yeah. than about beer during the Troubles during the tr- well the Troubles were more <laughs> recent than that uh, but that was you know the, Irish independence which which Guinness supported was one of the things that really damaged them in the in the early 20th century because all of a sudden their largest export market which was the United Kingdom now added tax to their beer because prior to that, they were a part of a a part of the United Kingdom. So they supported Irish independence, despite the fact that it was going to really harm them from a financial, from a financial point of view. So Guinness has always been very forward thinking and it's, it's nice to work for a company that does that. Um, and, and has such a rich history of taking care of their people and their communities. So you you touched on, um, why the U S why now, um, is it why Baltimore or why Maryland? Is it simply because they had, an existing, I'm sure that plays a part. They had an existing already, facility there it... that the infrastructure was al- was already set up. Um, I think that the East Coast made a lot of sense for them. Um, I'm not sure where else they looked. I, I think that there were a few other locations they were looking on the East Coast. Um, but Baltimore just makes a lot of sense because of its central location in the you know on yeah. the coast proximity. Yeah, to proximity a, to everything airport. to New York to Philly. The mm. airport's right next door. They already own the property, so they, they already had an understanding of what they would need to do to turn it into what they're going to turn it into. Um, from a selfish point of view, and I, I don't, this is just my opinion, um, being a Baltimore kid, born and raised again, uh, living in the city now, was born in the city, grew up there, went to Hartford County for high school. Um, this is an amazing thing for, for, for our city, for my city. I mean, it's, it's, Baltimore gets a bad rap, and especially in recent years, yeah. right? So, to have something that we can look at and and say, here's a company that's willing to come in and invest millions upon millions of dollars to create jobs, to make Baltimore a tourist attraction. And like I told you guys, I work for the Orioles. So I work for the number one tourist attraction in Baltimore, which is Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Soon to be second, probably. Well, we'll see. <laughs> but I love things that paint my city in a great light. And so if you're a baseball fan and you go and you talk to other baseball fans and you mention Camden Yards, people's eyes light up. Oh, man, that's a great ballpark. And so how great is it that we're going to have something else here pretty soon where when you talk to beer fans around the country, if we do our jobs, and I have no doubt that the guys at Guinness are going to do their jobs, 
we'll be able to go around and talk to beer fans in this country, and they're like, oh, man, you work at Guinness. Yeah. Like, that brewery's crazy. I'm excited by the uh, the ripple effect. I feel like the yeah. uh, breweries in Maryland are going to get, like, um, a rising tide raises all ships. So if you have people that are coming in just for Guinness, they're going to visit Heavy Seas. They're going to visit all the Baltimore breweries. Yeah, like it's gonna jailbreak. Be, yeah. They're going to get out to Union. They're going to get out. I mean, Flying Dog out here. Yeah. Um, my, our, speaking of Flying Dog, our uh, my, my fiance and I, one of our themes of our wedding is sunflowers. Sunflower pills. Like, I'm trying to find every case of it I can between now and, <laughs> now and the time it goes away. But, yeah, I mean, they're, again, being in Asheville, I mentioned 38 breweries, right? So every brewery I went into was packed mm-hmm. every hour of every day. And I was like, how are you guys supporting this? And it's because of guys like Sierra, New Belgium, Oscar Blues, those big breweries that went in there and created – or, or help to create. I won't say creative because there was already a very vibrant beer culture there. But you just bring in even more people that want good beer. And to mm-hmm. your point, nobody is going to come to Guinness, fly in from somewhere, come to Guinness, spend a day there, then fly home. They're going to come in and they're going to look for other yeah. things to do. They're going to look for more good beer. And I'm hoping that through our community work, you know, the Brewers Association in Maryland, uh, you know, talking to some of these breweries, that's one of the things that I'm doing is getting out into the market and introducing us to the neighbors, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, we're going to cr- help create and help foster a beer culture that brings even more people in. Yeah. yeah. And I would think, especially in the U.S., I mean, maybe St. James Gate, yeah, you're only going to go there to go to that brewery and then do other things in Ireland. Yeah. But in the U.S., if you've made a special trip to go to if a you're on a brewery, beer vacation, yeah, yeah, you're you're not going there to go to one brewery. You're going to go out to yeah, and then Frederick being the number one beer uh, city in the country, <laughs> right. you're going to come to Frederick. Oh, to absolutely, here. and it's a quick trip, right? I mean, it's less than an hour yeah. or, or around about an hour, forty-five minutes yeah. to an hour. So there, there is. I, I am crazy about. I'm a craft beer guy. I mean, that's that's just my it's my background. It's what I do. It's what I love, and I, I I love working for Guinness because it gives me a taste of both worlds, right? So the beer culture in this state is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's there. There are so many beers being turned out. I I'm a freak about Burley Oak. I don't know if you guys have had any Burley Oak from the Eastern yeah. Shore. Sour beer brewers. They do some of the craziest stuff in the world. Um, and I love what they're doing. I love the guys in Union because they're a couple blocks away from my house. And, th- and that's the other thing, right? So I was talking to a guy the other day in Baltimore. And he's like, oh, I came home. It was hot out. Went outside, mowed the lawn, came in, grabbed a beer. And I was like, what would you grab? He's like, I g- grabbed a duck pin, which is the pale ale mm-hmm. from, from Union. And I said, why would you grab that? Was it, you let, you know, you wanted a pale ale, you like the hop character, bitterness, like, well, thought about it for a minute. He said, no, nah, man, they're just made right down the street. Dude, how, how, how incredible a statement is that? Like, yeah. th- there, is, there is a movement in this country, and it's not new, but there is a movement in this country uh, wherein people are drinking less for what is in the bottle or in the can and more so about what's on the bottle. And so we, everybody knows that. Everybody sees that. If you can, it, there's no other product in the world where you're like, no, 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 no. Where is that made? I want to know where that's made. Like yeah. everything, soup to nuts. Where is it made? And so the craft beer culture, man, you you better have some legitimacy and you better have some authenticity. And so for us, Guinness is an import, not anymore. Yeah. Like the stout still will be, but now we have the ability to be a local beer. We we are a Maryland brewer. Mm-hmm. In two weeks, we are officially a Maryland brewer. So we get to have that same conversation. Oh, you wanted to drink something local? You can drink with us. Now, a big part of during the legislation was the ability to import um, unfinished wort yeah. to the to the brewery and then finish it there. What are the, is that just for experimental? Like, what what's the plans to do with that? That they want to do with that, or is that just? I I honestly something they wanted to make sure was available. I think I, I think when they came in, I, I think that. So the tough thing about it, right, I, I think that when they were building the brewery or in the process of deciding to build the brewery, they weren't really sure what they were going to do, right? So many different ideas, so many rockets going off in different directions. So I think the the interest was in getting as many things accomplished and, and opening yeah. as many doors as possible. So the, I, will, I will be completely honest with you. I'm a beer guy. And so I know the legislation stuff on a very sort of lower level, but as far as like the real uh, – the real intricacies of what they were looking for and what they were hoping to accomplish. I would hate to talk about it because quite frankly, I, I don't know enough about it intelligently to, to impart okay. any sort of wisdom, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think that it's always going to be a tough conversation because legislators are not beer people and beer people are not legislators. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if you, if you really look at it, they, they are very part of far apart on a spectrum and the beer culture and, and guys that brew beer, you know, this, there's a very simple process in place. We know that making beer is a very simple thing. Yeah. You do this at this time and add this at this time and you end up with your beer. And so when you take people like that who are very focused and very hands-on uh, into a legislative session, 
and the legislative session is, well, we don't do this right now. We wait three weeks to do this. That's a tough thing. That's a tough sell for beer people. Yeah. And so it's just, it's people talking two different languages. And there's going to, there's still some work to be done there. And I think that, you know, it, it will work itself out. And I think that this has opened up a larger conversation for the beer community in Baltimore and in Maryland. Um, and I'm curious to see where it goes. I mean, I've sat in on uh, one of the task force meetings. I'm going again uh, when, when it's at Flying Dog in a couple of weeks. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly not over. That's, that's well, for sure. At least the conversation is there. You know, it's not like it was a couple of years ago where it was just that we really talked about it. And, you know, Peter Francho is the least uh, steward for the beer industry and in trying to push it forward. So, I mean, it's, I think we're going to get there slowly. I don't know if it's going to happen overnight, but I feel like it, it's a good thing that we're at least talking about it. And beer has forced the issue. Yeah. The, the, the beer industry has forced this issue. You know, they, they, what was it, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, you had 12 breweries in this country, 20 breweries in this country. Now it's 6,000. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they, there's no signs of it slowing down. And people are continuing to buy more beer and drink more beer and seek out interesting beer and local beer. Um, so I think that everyone is slowly starting to, to come around on this and starting to understand, hey, we can't just turn our back on this anymore. We, we need to address this. We need to make sure that we are as competitive as every other state uh, when it comes to supporting and, and uh, when it comes to supporting this industry. You had, you had mentioned working with the Brewers Association of yeah. Maryland earlier. Do you know, does Guinness plan on continually working closely I, with I them think, and joining? I think that is the plan. I think the plan is to join. I don't think that we have, because we're still still in the, in the planning and building process, I don't think that we have uh, applied or anything like that, but I do think that our intention is to be a part of that community. Well, if saving money is an issue, I think you get a discount for being a brewery and planning. Yeah. In case if yeah, Guinness be cool is to worried see, uh, about the outlay. It'd be cool of, to see I Guinness mean, at like the beer festivals that band yeah, puts it on. Yeah, kind of is. Yeah. You know, they, cool. Look, I, I, one of the things that I've, I've held to and one of the things that I've talked a lot about is, is again, authenticity and, and legitimacy. And, and I think that if we, we can't just say we want to be a part of the community in, in Baltimore and in Maryland. If, if we're going to do it, we have to do it. We yeah. have to go all in. And that's a huge part of it. And and I think it's great because – I said it before, I think Guinness is the only mega brewery that can play can, in that. Yes, playground. that, can, that yeah. can do it because while they make a ton of beer, they make good beer. Yeah, I think like they're like the equivalent of, say, Sam Adams. You know, I mean, they're not American, but Sam Adams is roughly the same size as them. And, yeah, you know, so it's it's interesting. And, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm excited. for It, it. is a it is a grand experiment. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I think that anybody that tells you they know exactly how this thing is going to go would be wouldn't be telling you the truth. Mm-hmm. So it's never been it's never really been attempted before. I mean, we have 49 breweries, but to build something like this and to make this a destination uh, coming into a different country and doing it. I mean, we've seen Sierra do it moving from coast to coast. We've seen New Belgium do it, uh, moving from Stone even, open uh, their, their place in, Cal- in uh, Virginia. So it's been done on, on some scale before, but for us being this massively historical brand that everybody is familiar with to do this in, the, in this country and to create something where we want to drive people there, it's not just about distribution for us. It's not about simplifying the brewing process in a different country. This is about expanding the brand. Mm-hmm. And so we have this incredible brand already. So there's a risk here. I mean, there, there's a risk inherent in taking an already established brand and sending it to a new country and trying um, to expand We'll continue it that thought in one second. But Chris McClellan wants to insist oh uh, that the beard comes back. <laughs> um, thoughts? That's, that's his. Uh, Chris McClellan, who is the Guinness Brewery Ambassador <laughs> in New York City. He does my job. Uh, in, in New York City and uh, was one of the people who brought me on. Uh, McClellan is actually the guy that I was on the FaceTime with this morning that okay. when it popped up, he looked at me and he was like, what, what happened to you? What is wrong with you? Um, I like that so many people are concerned about my beard. Yeah. And well, as I pointed out to Chris, uh, I have 5 o'clock shadow at 9 o'clock in the morning, so don't you worry, buddy. It'll, it'll be back here okay. in, a, in a minute. Because he's insisting that it return. Uh, tell Chris to, to get back to work. I'm sure he's got something that he needs to be doing. Uh, but no, it's it, the beard will be back. You have to have a beard in the beer industry, man. Yeah. It's like it's it's like so a rule. It's credibility, you know. Yeah. So the um, all right, back to what we were talking about. Chris McClellan. Um, <laughs> Give me a break. So it, of the of the other forty nine other breweries, are any of them? Do any other ones have like tours? Kind of, and, uh, yeah, or are they all far, just not production? as far as I know. Yeah, I think it's all production. So it's breweries. all it'll only be St James Gate, and then yeah, St James's Gate in Dublin, and and here in this country, I. I and I could be 
telling tales out of school. I mean, I I, I don't I don't think so. I, I mean, and I, I think I, I would have heard about it, right? I mean, as yeah. much as we talk about beer, I think I would have known that if that were the case. Hmm. But yeah, I think it's just going to be St. James's Gate in here. And this one is going to be, I, I just, the barrel aging thing to me is very unique. The outdoor space to me is extremely unique as well. Um, and it's, it's going to be much more up close and personal with the brewing process. Because I think one of the things, if there is a drawback, and I'm not even sure I should call it a drawback with St. James's Gate, it's that you don't get to see the actual brewing process yeah. taking place, right? You are in this massive structure, uh, the old storehouse, this beautiful building. It's an incredible tour, um, but you never see anybody making beer. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. I think and Americans love that aspect. They like to like you know, just they want to sit in the brewery and drink a beer, you know, while somebody's doing the work. You know, I feel like they yeah. like to be around that part. And I think that there is also there there again going back to sensory experiences. You can go and walk around and you can see a lot of things and you can be told a lot of history and, and it's an incredible experience. But when you're in a brew house and the smell of mm. the wort, yeah. you know, you can touch the hops, you know, those kind of things. Like that's the kind of experience that I hope we create. And I think that's the kind of experience we're looking to create is something that is much more hands-on that gives people an idea of how Guinness has been brewing for so long and shows them up close and personal what that process is. Because I think to your, yeah, I agree. In this country, especially because we've become so intimately aware of the beer culture and the beer process, and we're so focused on how our beer is being made and what's being put into it. These are made with local oranges and everything else. We need to show people that. We need to let them touch it. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, and it gives even beyond the beer industry, though. It's just like the whole industrial tourism in the u.s yeah I mean, people just like to see yeah, like they want to see a kitchen. Products i want to see my made. food being made right now i guess yeah. you know it's, it's interesting i don't think i i don't agree with that at all <laughs> i just i hope it's delicious i don't, I don't want to know what Keep you're doing to that with that lobster back there before you serve it so the um the 10 barrel system yeah that for the experimentation someone had told me that they they heard that it would also be used to collaborate with other local breweries. Is that an aspect? Million dollar question, right? Yeah. So uh, we just did our first collab uh, a couple of months ago with uh, Two Roads. They made a Black Saison, which is delicious. Um, So yeah, I think that is is definitely in the plans. I think that would obviously be something that once everything is up and running, and we get everything cooking and we get our own beer out there and start uh, start working. But yeah, there there is no reason uh, that Guinness wouldn't be doing collaborations with with some folks. I I don't know who it's going to be at this point. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think you can definitely expect some collaborations down the road for sure. Monocacy would probably be a good place uh, to yeah, hit I mean, up. We, you know, we, we so like sitting with Todd. the head brewer and you've got the hat on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm sure Todd would swing by on his yeah. way, it's just on his way to work. It's just a jaunt. Over. <laughs> just a, yeah, just a quick jaunt. And he's right down the street. Yeah. All right. So a quick recap, uh, pop up. Yeah. Uh, Yep, temporary tap room looking probably middle of October. So the interesting thing about the middle of October, and I think the reason why we're so focused on that date, uh, again, thanks to the Guinness, uh, our archives and the Guinness history, we can pinpoint the exact date that the first shipment of Guinness left for the United States. Oh, wow. So we know that October 16th, 2000, or 1817, Guinness came to America. That's pretty awesome. And so October 16th, 2017 is 200 years of, of Guinness being in this did, country. Did it come yeah. into the Port of Baltimore? It actually came into Charleston. Oh. So I'm working on getting down to Charleston because that's part of my territory and my, and my job to do like a toast with the mayor on the waterfront. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to happen, but... That'd be cool. Uh, it would be cool. Uh, so we know exactly where that beer, when, when beer arrived, when Guinness arrived in this country. We brewed a 200th anniversary stout, which is going to be coming out in a couple, of, uh, a couple of weeks or a couple of months, well, a couple of weeks now at this point, um, which is brewed using those brewing journals. So we oh, brewed wow. a beer that's from 1817, Updated slightly, probably yeah. using some better water. Uh, and also 1817 is an interesting sort of banner year for Guinness because that was the first year that Daniel Wheeler, who invented the drum roaster, uh, invented black patent malt. So it was the first time you could make a dark colored beer without either smoking the hell out of your your uh, your barley or using artificial coloring ingredients. So we finally had a dark roasted malt that we could put into a beer to make a dark roasted beer. Um, so 1817, huge year in Guinness history. So they pretty much had no choice other than to make sure something, oh, something open, massive open was happening. That. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I think that that's. I think it's more of a. Oh, this is really cool that we can do this. Not like hurry the hell up because you know. But I just think that because the timeline was already what it was, they thought, yeah, let's get something open and let's you know let's let's see what happens. Let's see what we can pull off. So, uh, so where where can people go to keep up with progress? It's a great question. We will have a website, okay. and I will make sure that I get that to you. It is in development now, um, but that will be the best place to go. Uh, you can also follow uh, Guinness US on Instagram, on Twitter. 
Uh, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'll be having updates as well. So it's R-W-A-G-S-614, R-W-A-G-S-614 on Twitter. Um, and we'll make sure that, that that website makes it out uh, sooner rather than later. Great. So thank you so much for coming. And yeah, thanks for having in. me. Um, I feel like there was – like it's such a big thing happening, but there there were – there weren't a whole lot of details out there about yeah. it yet. So I, I really appreciate you coming and letting everyone know what to expect. That, yeah. What yeah. to expect. When I think the time is, I think the time is now, I think that we're starting to really kind of get a sense of, of what we want to build, of what we want to create, of the atmosphere that we want to uh, create and of the experience that we want to give people. So now that we have some of those ideas in place, uh, the time is now to start letting people know what to expect. So it's still going to be a bit of a waiting game for everything to come online. Um, but there's going to be some beers coming out of there soon, and uh, and that's the most important part, right? Yeah. Most definitely. Thank you again. Thank you uh-huh. for coming out, uh, serving as co-host, and thank Thanks you for, for uh, doing a beer with me. No problem. And a big thank you to Roast House Pub, and thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Slancha. Oh, yeah. Slancha. There you go. <laughs> Cheers, guys. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.